0: Well, good morning. How many of you were not able to be here on Friday and Saturday? And you need to repent. Where in the world were you? Well, there are four arguments why God has never given up on Israel. Israel's still the centerpiece of his prophetic program, whether you like it or not, I like to say. Some people say, well, I'm not liking that. Well, it doesn't really make any difference what you think. God is not going to change his plan. He said he's going to do it no matter what. Amen? Amen? Why don't you take a deep breath and say, yeah, I guess that is right. Amen? (sighs) Romans 11, please. The first argument in chapter 9 is genealogy. Who are the children of Israel? And all of a sudden, we learn that not everybody from Israel is going to be the true Israel. Example, Isaac and Ishmael. Ishmael is the father of all the Arabs in the world, 12 sons. For instance, Muhammad comes from the second son, Kedar. Now, they're going to be blessed by God, but there's a lot of unusual things said about them. They're going to fight one another throughout history and kill each other. But they will be confederate about one thing. They all want to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. Well, the Bible says the nation of Israel will never cease to exist. Uh, God's going to protect his covenant, that's for sure. It's everlasting. So how in the world could it ever stop? That would be an oxymoron, wouldn't it? An impossibility. Genealogy is important. When he went to Jacob and Esau, he said, Jacob have I loved, Esau I've hated. We learn from Hebrews 12 that Esau is going to be in hell, not heaven. Oh, he cried a lot, but he could find no place of repentance, the Bible says. Now, the seed is a very important issue. Who are the children of Israel? The real ones. Paul even wrote in Romans chapter 2, right at the end, who is a Jew, he said. Did you know that's a number one question on Jewish websites? Who is a Jew? They're all asking it. By the way, number two question is, who is the Messiah? There are a lot of Jewish websites, thousands of them, but they want to know who a Jew is. And it's uh, amusing to me to read them. If you read the Bible, you got to have a Jewish dad. Well, that was a thunderous approval. (laughs) Must be all Gentiles. In a Jewish audience, they always say, Amen! Hallelujah! Okay, you must have a Jewish dad. Well, there was four people. (laughs) Come on now, let's wake up. Argument number one is genealogy. And Paul wrote in Romans 2, He who is a Jew is not simply one who is outward in the flesh, but it deals with his inward circumcision of his heart. You see, circumcision has nothing to do with saving a child. It demonstrates the faith of the parents in the Messianic promise that was given to Abraham, a nation, a land, and a descendant who would bless all the Gentiles of the world. So we have to be careful what we say. He who is a Jew is one inwardly, that isn't simply a New Testament truth. That's in the book of Deuteronomy. Circumcision is of the heart. It's like that foreskin has to be removed of our own sin and rebellion against God. And we can have a circumcision of the heart when we turn to the Messiah and accept his wonderful cleansing and forgiveness. Amen? Amen. Now, argument number two we dealt with is the matter of grace we sang another song this morning about wonderful grace of Jesus grace gives us what we don't deserve and the proof of grace was a remnant including paul he said i'm an israelite i'm of the tribe of benjamin benjamin he's here therefore what god's plan for israel is still continuing He also mentioned Elijah, who said, I'm the only one left, and they're trying to take my life. And God said, no, you aren't. I've got 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Dr. J. Vernon McGee was a dear friend of mine, and I miss him greatly. I miss him for his humor, as well as his straightforward answers. And uh, I called him one day. Well, many times I called him. (laughs) But... uh, He was always so clever. And he heard my complaint. He said, David, Elijah talked a little bit like you are today. And God said he had 7,000 and have not bowed the knee to Baal. I don't know if this has hit you or not, but you can be replaced. And he hung up. That was always McGee. He never really let you comment on what he said. He would just hang up and I love that. Yes, grace is a wonderful thing, isn't it? Grace is not works. Never is it God's plan to have your works and your efforts as a part of his grace. His grace saves whoever he wants, whenever he wants. Oh, and by the way, he'll do the choosing before you're born. My students used to ask me, you know, I don't understand that. Why would he do that? I said, because he didn't want you to mess it up. (laughs) But we also have the issue of grafting. That was the third argument. And what is really alarming is that pastors and teachers today, both on radio and television, are restating that passage about grafting. They say the Jews need to be grafted in to the Gentile church. Excuse me? No, first of all, the church is Jewish. The roots are Jewish, not Gentile. They had to have a council in Acts 15 to let any Gentiles in. And they only did it because they knew the prophecies of Abrahamic covenant and all that God had said in the, in the prophets. He had predicted the salvation of Gentiles. So they finally made the decision to let him in. So you got in by the skin of your teeth. You also were grafted in to the true olive branch and the true tree and its root, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the promise of God to them. That's how we got saved. Amen? So we have a debt we owe, as Paul wrote in Romans 3, to the Jewish people themselves. They gave us the Messiah through whom we have salvation. We need to be careful. It is a Jewish church. Amen? Two people said amen. It's a Jewish church, and now we're serving ham at the church picnic? Hey, come on, think about it. There's something wrong here. But fortunately, Jews who come to know the Lord also learn about God's grace and His love. Paul said, I'm all things to all men that I may somehow win some. He said, I became a Jew. That's a funny remark. He already was a Jew and an Orthodox one. So what could he mean? He was talking about Jewish tradition. We aren't under any obligation to practice Jewish tradition. But Paul said, I'm willing to become that, that I may win Jews to Christ. So uh, don't walk off half proud. In fact, Paul wrote, We ended with this yesterday, that there should be no pride among us, none whatsoever. No presumption that somehow we're more important now. No, you aren't. Salvation is still of the Jews. The gospel of our Messiah is still first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. We need to wake up to God's prophetic program. He's not done with Israel He's going to explode upon the world the glory of Israel's salvation. And that's our final argument. God wants to be glorified. So, how in the world is God going to be glorified? Very simply, by saving Jews that no one thinks will get saved. Amen? There's some real stinkers among us, Jews. There really are. I don't like us, and I'm one of them. We always argue. We don't even know why. Where there are two of us, there's at least 30 arguments. We don't know where they come from. It's our nature to argue. You believe something, we believe the opposite. Even though we believe what you said. It's crazy. That's just being Jewish. That's all. And you say, well, I know about the Jews. (laughs) They're short, fat, got big noses and push and shove on the subways of New York. Guess again. These short, fat guys have won the European basketball championship for 3 years in a row now. Boy, those guys can jump, can't they? No, they come from all over the world. There are tall ones, there are short ones, there are fat ones, there are skinny ones. There's some blonde blue-eyed Jews, there are black Jews, there are Chinese Jews. They're from all over the world, just exactly like God said. But they're the fewest of all nations. I always like to tell my Jewish friends, I think God loves the Chinese more than us. And they say, why? Well, because he made more of them. Yeah, well, anyway. You got your Bible open, Romans 11? We're starting now where we left off. We're in chapter 11, verse 25, reading to the end. And the fourth and final argument is glory. Here we go. For I would not, brethren, I'm reading out of the old King James. A lot of you have new King James. Some of you have NIV positive and whatever you are. Here we go. (laughs) I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. Lest you should be wise in your own conceits that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. But as touching the election, a word meaning choice, They are beloved for the Father's sake. Please notice the word fathers is plural with an apostrophe. It is not referring to our heavenly Father, but to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Jewish fathers. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Wow, you don't have to repent. That isn't what it said. It's referring to God, not you. Verse 30, for as ye in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief. Even so have these also now not believed that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. Uh, I'll just break there for a moment and tell you that if you're really teaching right in a Jewish Messianic congregation, you would say that the major instrument of Jewish salvation today are Gentiles who love the Jews and share the gospel with them. Did you read that carefully? Even so, have these also now not believed, the Jewish people, that through your mercy, if you're having trouble here, go back to chapter 11 and verse 13. I speak to you Gentiles through your mercy, they also may obtain mercy. The primary way that Jewish people are coming to know the Lord today is through Gentiles who love them and have mercy on them. Wow. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief. He did it on both ways. He did it to Jews, He did it to Gentiles. Why? So that he might have mercy upon all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor, or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him, and through him, and to him are all things. To whom be glory forever and all God's people said. Amen. I'd say it as loud as you can. God is listening. And if there ever was a day then we need to express our confidence in the plan of God for Israel, it's now. God has not given up on His people. It is an everlasting covenant. And we're going to see a remarkable thing in our near future. For God is going to pour out His Spirit on the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the house of David, and watch out. You're going to see blessing like you cannot believe. And the nation of Israel is going to be exalted as the superpower of the world. He's going to make them all like David with Goliath. That's what the Bible says. Well, he's been doing that. If you haven't noticed the wars of Israel, they've been outnumbered, outgunned. It's unbelievable. I have a video set that was done by the late Abba Ibn, I loved his voice. He was a a Britisher, of course. They're still available on Amazon.com, pretty cheap. A whole set on the wars of Israel. Oh, my. Not only great footage, but you will, after you see it, know that it's only a miracle of God as to why Israel ever won. I had a man who was very angry at that statement. He came up to me. He said, I'm military. I said, well, that's all right. God can heal people of anything. He said, no, no, no. He said, uh, Israel won those wars because we gave them the weapons they needed. I said, sir, I'm a very good friend of the Israeli Mossad. Would you like me to call them on the phone and ask them if your view is true? Well, no, I didn't mean that. I said, well, stop telling people that because the United States never gave them a single weapon until after 1973's uh, Yom Kippur War. He said, well, then how did they win? Now, that's a wonderful question. (laughs) You know, you could tell in the Six-Day War who won by the backup lights on the Egyptian tanks. But anyway... (laughs) It was the Lord God of Israel. I've got story after story, but we're not here to hear that story. We want to hear the story in the Bible that is glory, if there ever was one. So, let's ask the Lord to bless it. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I don't know where hearts are. You do. You know all about us. We can't fool you. No matter how many times we've been at a church or gone to a special meeting, The real issue is our own personal commitment to the Messiah of Israel, the only hope of the world. And God, I pray that every one of us may walk out here, out of here today, with full assurance that we belong to him. I thank you, Lord, in the blessed name of our Lord Yeshua. Amen. Okay, here's where we start, right where Paul starts. Number one the revelation of a mystery. Hmm. Now that word was never translated. It was transliterated, which means to say a word from another language into another language. The Greek word is mysterion, from which we just said mystery. Well, because of all the um, movies that and TV programs about crime, and police, and so forth. We've come to believe the word is more like mysterious, or you don't really know what's happening here. But that's not the meaning of mysteria. It's used 22 times. Uh, The Greek word itself, however, is found 27 times. So five of them were not translated at all. What is a mystery? A mystery is something that was unknown in the past that is now revealed. This is not a secret thing. God wants the whole world to know what's happened to Israel now. In the age we call grace. Or some call it the church age. Or the parenthesis in God's prophetic program. It's a mystery. Now let's start number one, verse 25. The concern of Paul about spiritual and prophetic ignorance. You know, this phrase appears a lot in the New Testament. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. Well, the brethren means he's talking to Christians. So Christians are ignorant of what? That's an interesting question. First of all, let's get the word ignorant right. Moronos. Sound familiar? Yeah, it's the English word moron. Welcome to the body of Christ. Bunch of morons about very important things. I found the following in the New Testament. Christians are ignorant of messianic prophecies and therefore lose their courageous, bold stand for the Lord. Wow, isn't that interesting? In other words, the less you know about the prophecies concerning the Messiah, the more likely it is that you are not a bold witness for the Lord. Listen, the more I know what God said about a coming Messiah, the more confident I become. And I'm not afraid of anybody, because the fear of man is a snare and a trap. Well, where'd you get that confidence? By learning the prophecies of our Lord. Hey, we're on the winning side. I read the last chapter. We win! Stop walking like you had pickles and prunes for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Hey, uh, what should characterize believers today is joy. Joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Why? Because our Savior's coming back. The answer to the problems of the world is not to figure out how to pay off the debt of Greece or the United States or anybody else. The hope of the world is the Messiah of Israel. Obama will not bring peace. If it's called peace, it'll be a false peace according to the Bible. The one who will bring real peace is the Prince of Peace, our Lord Yeshua. Please understand. Not only ignorance of Messianic prophecies, but also ignorance of God's... Well, I'm not there yet, but thank you for putting it up, the next point. Back it up. There's where we are. But ignorance of God's purposes in changing circumstances. Wow, that's interesting. That's in Romans 1. Each one of these contains that little phrase, I would not have you to be ignorant. Brethren, you're not talking about unbelievers' ignorance. He's talking about believers' ignorance. And many of us are ignorant about changing circumstances. Why, Lord, did that happen to me? You almost feel like God should yell out of heaven. Why not? God has a purpose in everything that's a part of what brings glory to him. And that's what we're going to learn before we're done with this little section of scripture. It doesn't matter what's happened to you. You go into a doctor's office. He says, I'm sorry to tell you, you have a terminal illness. You have cancer. You have maybe six months to live. Now don't fall apart. I've had people fall apart. They immediately get on their cell phone, call me, I may be in a meeting, they can't stop talking though, and they're crying. They told me I have a terminal illness, I'm going to die. I said, well, you didn't learn a single thing. What are you talking about? We all have a terminal illness, and it's only a question of time. What's the big deal about it? Don't you understand, he said I have cancer. So what? So what? I've had cancer. I had cancer of the throat, and they told me I'd never speak again. They were wrong. (laughs) And still today, if you look down my throat as a doctor would, you'd see there's hardly anything there. I have to watch it. Food sometimes goes down the windpipe. But the fact of the matter is, they were wrong. They told my wife's mother, as I've said already this weekend, that she had cancer and her whole body. was going to be dead in three months. And Carol kept making me go visit her. She's a good woman, but every week? (laughs) The woman lived 21 years. (laughs) Let's go see mom. This could be it. Look, we need a little sanity about our lives. You know, tomorrow you may have everything go wrong. Amen? You know, the first time I got a new truck... It was a gift from an aunt that I had led to Christ, and she had no relatives. So she left in her will these words. The following is for David. I am tired of watching him try to get in and out of cars. Tell him to buy a big truck. So I did. This is many years ago. I still had that truck. You know why? The first day I had it, I was so proud of it. Man, it was great. Big GMC truck, I love that thing. And you know what I did in a parking lot, yeah? Amen. I back right into the pole. Big dent right in the back of it. You know I've never fixed it in all these years? It's way over 100,000 miles now on it, and I've never fixed it. Why? It's a reminder to me that life changes. <laughs> Circumstance change. Look, stop complaining. We got Thanksgiving Day coming up. But in a believer's life, it is one of the marks of being spirit-filled to thank God for everything. I was preaching at Hume Lake Christian Camp. And I decided to drive home on Sunday night after it was over rather than waiting. And I had a little Volkswagen at the time. No, it was an old Volkswagen with a high roof, so it was okay. Anyway, I'm coming down ninety nine the longest highway of nothing in the world. I got to the grapevine. I'm going up the grapevine, and I got a flat tire. But I was so filled with the joy of the Lord, I jumped out of that car. I said, no problem, Lord. You're probably going to have somebody. This is 2 in the morning. You're probably going to have somebody stop by who needs the Lord. I'm ready. I got out the equipment, took the tire off, and changed it. Nobody came by. I thought, it's okay, Lord. It's all fixed. Don't worry about it. I got back in the car, and I was so thrilled with the way I handled it. David, you must be spirit-filled. This is wonderful. I went two miles up the road and had another flat. Now, you know what was in the back of the Volkswagen. It was another flat. I was so ticked. I got out of that car, and I said, thanks a lot, Lord. I serve you with all my heart, and then you do this to me. There aren't any cars here. It's now about three in the morning. And I was so mad, I kicked the hubcap and dented the whole thing in. Man, I was upset. Now what am I going to do? And then I thought to myself, well, God's probably going to have a truck or something come by and pick me up. We'll go get the tire, and, and I'll be able to lead him to the Lord. Do you know who stopped by? A pastor who had already been at a conference, the same one I was at. You know what he said the first thing when he pulled over? He said, well, it looks like God's going to teach you something through this. I wanted to just slaughter him. I just wanted to beat him up. I just could hardly stand it. You know, God knows us better than we know ourselves. But please understand when he said, I I don't want you to be be a moron. About what? Well, not only about messianic prophecies that are your hope, but about changing circumstances, because that's life. And God often tests us, our attitudes, by what we go through. By the way, in 1 Thessalonians 4, he told us, I don't want you to be ignorant about Believers who have died. I have seen that. I love funerals. I love preaching funerals. And uh, I've seen believers do crazy things. I've seen them try to ju- jump in the hole where we put the casket. I- I've seen dumb things. It- it's unbelievable. Men who have known the Lord for years cry like babies when they lose their wives and think life is over. It's, it's unbelievable. I stand at the casket and they look at a woman that's just had one of those jobs, you know, to fix them up. And they say, doesn't she look good? (laughs) Frankly, no. That's about the worst embalming job I've ever seen. You don't know what to say, you know. Ignorance of believers who have died? Oh, and how about ignorance of the delay in the second coming of our Lord, Second Peter 3. Why are we complaining? It's unbelievable. Uh, he mentioned ignorance about spiritual gifts. And what do believers say? Well, you know, that's for Pentecostal people. No, it is not. It's for all the body of Christ. What's the matter with us? And don't get enamored with your gift. You can be replaced. Amen. And how about this? Ignorance about suffering in the life of the believer. I don't want you to be ignorant. (laughs) It dawned on me during a message years ago on suffering. Number one, I deserve to suffer. Number two, everybody will in time if you live long enough. And number three, God has many purposes in suffering. Don't be ignorant about it. The Bible says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. So if you're having a lot of health problems, you're a believer, praise the Lord. God's already told you. And Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 12 that he rejoiced in the infirmities that hit him physically because the power of the Messiah would rest upon him. Wow. Wow. You know, I'm like a walking disaster. I've been falling lately. I even saw a sign on the road that said, one out of three people over 65 will fall today. That was a good year, several years ago. So I come up with a pastor today, right outside. I thank God none of you were watching. I got out of the door, oh, you were watching. (laughs) I got out of the door and fell over on the cement. Please, yeah. Aww. Ah, good. Oh, I feel so much better by your uh <laughs> And I was just thinking about it. I'm not going to pay any attention to it. And there in my notes, <laughs> ignorance about suffering. And the truth of the matter is, it hurts. Aww. Oh, boy, that feels great. So why should we be surprised that he said, I don't want you ignorant about this mystery, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become come in. What's the fullness? Go back to verse 11 and 12. We already told you, but you may have forgotten. The fullness is the salvation of the Gentiles. Oh, well, then when the rapture happens, no, 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 uh-uh. The rapture will happen, you bet, but Gentiles are going to be saved the greatest multitude of them we have ever seen during the tribulation. And 144,000 Jews are going to be the evangelists. Amen? Well, how will they get saved? By two witnesses, Moshe and Elijah. I ask all my rabbinical friends, I say, how in the world are 144,000 Jews going to believe in a Messiah? They said, very easy. I said, how? You bring Moses and Elijah back and we'll all believe. Well... I don't think they're all going to believe, but it's going to be a miracle of God to save Gentiles like you can't believe. We have 3,000 languages that have yet to receive one verse in their own language. We have 16,000 people groups that have yet to hear the gospel. You see, we've been baptized with it in the Western world, and we're doing very little with it. While the world's going to hell, many of them have never heard the gospel. Well, let me tell you, in the tribulation, God's going to bring the gospel to every nation, tribe, language, and people. The whole world will hear the gospel of our Lord. Amen? So, what he's talking about here, this mystery about the blindness of Israel, is going to continue until the last Gentile is saved during the tribulation period, and then God is going to change human history. Wow, what a day. Well, we also want to talk about the character of a biblical mystery. I've sort of uh, told you in a way. It refers to that which was not known in the past, but is now being revealed. In the Old Testament, it's all glory road. It's all victory. If a, if a Jewish person really believed what the Old Testament prophets said, there's going to be a time of terrible trouble, the tribulation period, Jeremiah 30. But praise God that he's never going to forsake his people. He's going to supernaturally protect them in the last three and a half years from the attempt of the Antichrist to kill them. It'll be another serious holocaust. But God will nourish them for three and a half years. And at the end of that, he's going to pour out his spirit on Israel and Judah, the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And they're going to look on him whom they pierced. Wow. What a day that's going to be. Uh, I'm not going to talk about all these. I'm simply going to mention them. The mystery of the kingdom. The mystery of the rapture. The mystery of his will. The mystery of Christ. The mystery of marriage. Boy, is that ever a mystery. Amen? The mystery of the gospel. The mystery of Christ in you. The hope of glory. The mystery of God. The mystery of iniquity. The mystery of the faith. The mystery of godliness. The mystery of the seven stars and seven candlesticks. The mystery of the harlot and the beast and so forth. God uses the word over and over again. Why would he do so many of them? Because it was not known in the past, Old Testament history. But it's now revealed in the New Testament. So these aren't things that God doesn't want you to know. These are things God does want you to know. So let's start with the condition of Israel. We learn three things about it. One, it's partial. Thank God or I wouldn't be here. Amen? Amen? It's blindness in part. So does this mean no Jews will be saved? No. In fact, it's the exact opposite. There will be Jewish people coming to know the Lord. In Israel, we now have near 10,000 Jews who've come to the Lord. We had none 30 years ago. It's a remarkable move of the Lord. But it's also present until the fullness of the Gentiles be completed, uh, until they're saved. And third, it's prophetic that it would occur. You say, Where do you hear that? Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. Israel will become blind to the great glory and mystery of the Messiah himself. Wow. The fourth thing I want to bring to your attention is the coming of salvation in verse 26. What we read here is, And so all Israel shall be saved. Now, based upon our first argument, genealogy, who are the children of Israel? Is it true that every last Jew will be saved? No, it is not. Zechariah thirteen, eight to nine tells us that only one third of the Jews will believe in the Messiah when he comes again to the earth. Sad but true. All Israel is speaking about nationally. There's going to be a great multitude of Jews who come to know the Lord, that's for sure. And the person here who's going to do it is called the Deliverer. That's from Isaiah 59, 20 and 21. It's the Messiah himself. The promise, the person, and what's the purpose of it all? It says, He shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. God is going to forgive Israel for all that they have done against him. Remarkable. A fifth thing, look at verse 27, the covenant of God. This is my covenant when I shall take away their sins. Why, that's the name of the 27 books to the right of your Bible. It's a new, what? A New Testament or a new covenant. That's in Jeremiah 31. What is the new covenant? Well, first of all, every covenant has a sign. Noah's covenant, the sign was rainbow. God promised he'd never destroy the world with a flood like that. We have also the covenant of God to Abraham. The sign of Abraham's covenant. Hello? I'm surprised you don't know. Anybody want to take a shot at it? What's the sign of the Abrahamic covenant? Circumcision. Circumcision, exactly right. Circumcision is demonstrating the faith of the parents when the male boy at eight days old is circumcised. It's the sign of that covenant. Moses' covenant, 613 laws. What's the sign of that covenant? No. Nice try, though. That's a good try. What's the sign of the Mosaic Covenant? Amen? The Sabbath day. Exodus chapter 31. It's the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day. Oh, should we all have church on Saturday? That isn't what it says. The Sabbath is a sign of the Mosaic Covenant between the children of Israel only. It is not for Gentiles aren't you glad so you can go out and pork out for lunch amen the covenant of God is the only way that you and I can be saved God will take away our sins because of a redeemer a deliverer, a messiah number 6 look at verse 28 the choice of God as touching the election choice, which we studied back in chapter 9, they are beloved for the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's sake. Well, of course. But it then says, as touching the gospel, far as Gentiles, they appear to be enemies of you. Number seven, look at the calling of God. Verse 29. The gifts and calling of God are without. Repentance, what does that mean? When God saves you, he's not going to change his mind. Aren't you thankful? Excuse me, did I, did I make clear this weekend that you could easily be judged by God for your silence? Maybe it would be a good habit to start, amen, when something good about God is said. God is never going to change his mind after you get saved. Yeah, amen. People say, oh, you believe in eternal security. Why? Is there another option? I was speaking about John 10 in a meeting not too long ago. And I said, the Bible says that God will, through his son, he will give us eternal life. We will never perish and neither will anyone pluck us out of his hand. A guy stood up and he said, you can jump out of his hand. I said, you must not have read in the Bible what's in his hand. What's in his hand are all the galaxies of the universe. They are in his hand. Now, you might move from knuckle to knuckle, but you're not getting out. You say, I've been born again. Well, then how can you be unborn? This is getting stupid. If he gives you eternal life, then how could that ever stop and be temporary? You know, we need to use our head. Amen? Amen. So God's not going to change. Wow. (laughs) It's without repentance. He's not going back on it at all. And number eight, the conclusion we come to is in verse 30 and 31. And let me give these to you. I love these. Number one, God's mercy is accessible to Gentiles through the unbelief of Israel. Talk about a wonderful mystery It's a way by which we are saved. Number two, God's mercy will not be accepted by Jews through the mercy of the Gentiles during this period of time. Well, then we shouldn't be merciful to them. Wrong. Wrong. No, that's not true. Number three, God's mercy is available to all in spite of the unbelief. Wow. Wow. You mean there are going to be Jews saved during the period we know as the Gentile age? Yes, there are. Yeah, God's going to show you that he's not done yet. So he's going to save a loudmouth like me to come and yell and scream at you. I'm serious. I had some folks at the table this morning in the little place where I'm staying at who were all at the game last night. And they were just going on and on. Some of them had too much to drink. And uh, so the lady next to me said, well, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a radio broadcaster. Oh, really? I like listening to the radio. What station are you on? I said, well, many of them, many of them. But I said, you can go to our website. She said, what is it? I said, it's called Hope for Today. Well, what about tomorrow? Well, <laughs> as soon as we get to tomorrow, it will then be Hope for Today. It was a very interesting. If you try to really witness to people who had a little too much the night before, it is interesting what comes out of their mouth. But I got to thinking about it. God's mercy is available to all in spite of their wickedness and unbelief. She said, what do you mean by hope for today? Oh, I mean if you drop dead today, uh, you can go to heaven because you get straightened out by Believing in the hope that God has for you today. See, thinking this through. What? I mean, I could go to heaven if I believe what you're saying. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Oh, I suppose my sins will be forgiven. I said, yes, I'm glad you heard that. She said, well, you don't know me. I said, I know enough this morning to know that you need the Lord. (laughs) We had a good time. They were glad they were leaving town today, (laughs) knowing that I'll still be there this afternoon. Look, folks, God has a wonderful plan. It came through Israel, and now Israel is blinded, only partially, praise God. But the blindness is going to be taken away one day, and it already is for many Jews Um, she saw that I was Jewish. She was a Polish Jew. I said, hey, that's great. My son married a Polish Jew. Really? Well, is he one of them? I said, who do you mean by them? Don't make me say it. I said, who's one of them? You know. I said, who? Isn't it interesting? You're afraid to say it. I said, could it possibly be that you think that I'm a Jew who believes in Yeshua? Hey, if you do, you're no longer Jewish. And uh, I love just listening to them. I said, really, where did you read that? I don't know. (laughs) But I'm sure it's true. I said, no, it's not true. And there's a lot of Polish Jews who've come to know the Lord. Hey, come on, you're pushing a bit. I said, lady, you you haven't got the foggiest idea how I can push. (laughs) At that point, they got up from the table and left. But the Lord will use it for his glory. God's mercy is available to all, even through unbelief. What an interesting plan God has. So let's go to the closing verses. The realization of God's plan. Wow. Wow. Four verses that are kind of like the most spectacular verses in the Bible. Let's start with our comprehension of this. What is our comprehension of God's plan? When we realize what he has said, what is our comprehension? I love this. Let's start with number one. His riches are unfathomable. See, I'm the heir of God. And I am a joint heir with Jesus Christ. I like to walk with my grandchildren outside on a clear night when the birds aren't coughing. And I love to look up at the sky and say to them, how do you like what I got? They'll say, what do you mean what do you got, Papa? I said, all that up there is mine. Yeah, the Bible says so. Yeah. Hey, it could be yours too. Isn't it wonderful? His riches are what? Unfathomable. In Ephesians 2.7, it tells us it's going to be shown to us throughout all eternity. Well, let's get to now. Now, all of this is seen in the person of Jesus Christ. Colossians 2, three. In him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You get to know Him deeply and be committed to Him deeply. And all of a sudden, you're going to be smarter than you've ever been before. Amen? Wow. I love that. When it says the word depth, I think of Romans eight thirty nine, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities or powers nor things present nor things to come nor height or depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Jesus Christ our Lord wow that's great oh number two his judgments are unsearchable I need to understand all that God's trying to well (laughs) give it up it's going to take an eternity for us to listen to him and still keep on learning this is what we call a double compound in Greek right here. It means it's totally impossible for us to discover. Well, why did God do that? I don't know, but he said he did, so I'm going to trust him for it. Well, don't you know why? You're a preacher. has nothing to do with it. No, I don't know why. In fact, the more I know from the Bible, the more I know what I don't know. Hello? I love it when my stu- well, in fact, when I first went to graduate school, I definitely knew everything. No, I did. I'd answer anybody's question. Now I don't know. Now I believe that dogmatism is just grown-up puppyism. you know what I mean? <laughs> Who do we think we're fooling? We're, you're not fooling God. Come on. His judgments are unsearchable. Number three, His ways are unknowable," it says unknowable, the words are past finding out. They come from a Greek word, very long one, interesting one. It means to trace out by tracks, referring to a tracker. And it's a double compound, which means impossible to discover. Do I know what God's going to do this week? No, I do not. Well, doesn't that make you a little frightened? No, it does not. Why? Why? Because I know he knows the way that I take. And when I am tried, I will come out as gold. My father knows the way I will take. I don't know. I've been thinking since I fell this morning, why did that happen? I don't know. You know, it could be because a few moments before that, I was so happy that I hadn't fallen this week. So God just had me fall, just so I understand I'm totally dependent on Him. Amen. Amen. So if any of you fall today, don't say I caused it. But the Lord may allow it to happen just so you'll learn to trust Him. Amen? Amen. Wow. And <laughs> I love this. His understanding is unobtainable. Verse 34. Quote from Isaiah 40, verses 12 to 14. Look. We don't know what God knows. You say, well, doesn't that bother you? No, it doesn't. Helps me to sleep at night. I don't know what God knows. I don't know what he knows about every person sitting in this room right now. Oh, by the way, you can't fool him either. All things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to deal. All things. All things. Everything about you, God knows. You say, well, I'm a believer. So? God still knows everything about you. He knows how weak we are, how easy it is for us to blow it, to get mad when we shouldn't, to be upset over things that have happened in the past we've never been able to resolve. God knows the reason for them. We don't. God wants us to trust him. (laughs) I love the story of Job. Uh, Some pastors have written me and said our series on Job, it's a long series, took almost a year. And they say it's one of the better ones. That's their view. But we do need to understand Job. All of that suffering and why God. And then his his friends that showed up. So-called friends. I love it in Job when he says, miserable comforters are you all. You know, sometimes your friends are not giving you the comfort that you need. But our God is a God of all comfort who comforts us in every trial we have so that we may know the comfort that we can use to comfort others. Wow. His understanding is unobtainable. And fifth, his needs are unmeetable. You know, I just want to help God get to it. No. <laughs> oh, I love people. No, God doesn't have any needs that you can meet. Amen? Amen. No, the deal is that he meets your needs. My God will supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. But we appreciate the sincerity that you want to help him. But he doesn't need your help. He's God. You need his Well, that's one aspect of this glory passage. But how about this? His control. Verse 36. How much is God in control? Good question. So let me just walk through that verse. First of all, let's read it again. For of him... Read with me. For of him and through him and are to whom be glory forever. Amen. Amen. Right? So let's take them one at a time. First, he's the origin of all things. That's what it says. The Greek word is ek, meaning out of. Out of God, his mind, his plan, etc., are all things that have ever happened. Do you believe that? You better. All things come from him. Everything. Everything that's happened to you. All things. A friend of mine I've known for over 40 years. He was married for 42 years and his wife died and I had his funeral. A lot of strange things happened at that funeral. But anyway, since then he's moped around like you cannot believe. He's not the same friend. He lost his joy. And he keeps blaming God for taking his wife away. And he keeps asking me, now why would he do that? You know, I said, I don't know. But you know, it might be to bring relief to her. (laughs) What do you mean by that? I said, well, if you drove her crazy like you drive me crazy, I'd want to get rid of you you don't really mean that, do you? I said, yes, I do. I think you got it wrong. All things come from him. And if I were him, I'd take her to heaven and give her a little peace. Blessed are those who die in the Lord, for they shall rest from all their labors and their husbands. I added the last part. Because some of you were writing it down. (laughs) Okay. Sounded too good to be true. (laughs) Look, folks, I don't know why it happens. I can still hear my daughter's voice. She lost the baby. Why? I don't know, honey. But that baby's in heaven. How do you know? Because the Bible talks about David's baby. He lost through his sin with Bathsheba. And he said, the baby will not come to me, but I shall go to him. What a wonderful promise, huh? A lot of things happened. Then three years ago when her husband died of brain cancer. Why? Why would God leave me all alone? I said, I don't know, honey. But you're not really all alone. You're a cashier at Walmart. Let me tell you, there's a lot of people that come through you every day. You need to start smiling at them. Smiling? Dad, do you know what these people are like? I said, I don't make any difference. Just smile at him, tell him God loves him, and see what happens. She got a little award for being the sweetest person at Walmart, and I'm a very carnal dad. I said, well, was there any money associated with it? <laughs> no, but she got a little plaque. He's the origin of all things. Number two, he's the operation of all things. Now, here's where we get messed up. Did God actually do what I think you're saying he did to me, etc, etc, etc? Well, my Bible says that all things not only come out of him, but they're being operated through him. The prepos- preposition in Greek is dia, meaning the channel through which things are done. Well, how can he work with me and work in China and all that at the same time? Well, because he's God. There isn't anything he doesn't know. I personally believe that the root of most of our problems in the Christian life is a misunderstanding or a misapplication of who God is and what He can do. I really believe it. For 40 years I studied the Psalms for my personal relationship with the Lord because I knew it spoke so much about the attributes and abilities of God. And you get that stuff in your heart. Um, It's like He takes the burden away. You say dumb things at times. I do. I don't know about you. I had one not too long ago. A lady came forward in a meeting after I finished talking. And um, she was 96. And she had a little, one of those little, what do you call them? Walkers, yeah. <laughs> kind of a funny name. It's an oxymoron, huh? <laughs> they don't do the walking. You push them. But anyway, she had one of these little walkers. And I, I said to her, quietly, not to embarrass her. I said, what can I do for you? She said, can you pray for me? I said, well, I'd be happy to. What's wrong with you? She said, everything. So you want a total job? (laughs) She said, yes, I I want to be completely healed once and for all. And I can't believe I said it, but out of my mouth came, well, then drop dead. She looked at me and said, is there anyone else I can talk to? I couldn't believe I said it. By the way, she's still alive and laughing with me now. Blessed are the dead, for they shall rest from all their labors. You want to get a total job? Then drop dead. Absent from the body and present with the Lord. Praise God. Let's go to number three. He is the object of all things. It says, to him or unto him, the Greek preposition eis, as the ultimate object of everything. Why are all things happening in your life and mine as they are? Answer, because he's the final object and he knows what he's doing with it all. Amazing. And then number four and finally, I love that story of the little boy sitting next to his dad in the Sunday morning service and the pastor said, finally. He turned to his dad and said, Dad, what does that mean? He said, absolutely nothing, son. Never is final. There's always something else, right? Well, this is it. This is the last point. He's the objective of all things. Wow. To whom... Be glory forever. Amen. Do you understand that whether you eat or drink, 1 Corinthians 10 31, do all to the glory of God? What is the chief end of man, says the Westminster Catechism? It is to glorify God. In Revelation 4, the scene is heaven. The cherubim angels fall down. Everybody else follows. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive glory, honor, power, blessing, dominion forever and ever. All things were created for your pleasure, Lord. So I just want my life to count to give you glory. Because you know what sin is? Come on, you know it. Romans 3.23 All have what? Sin. Fall short of what? Ah, the glory of God. You see, the root of what's wrong in our sin and stubbornness and attitudes is that we don't glorify God. I want God to get all the glory. Amen? Amen. You know... When I fell this morning, I I landed on my arm and elbow and hip where I fell last week, and uh, it hurts. (laughs) And I just want to sit down, so I'm going to. But I was thinking, God gets glory by the fact that I could stand up here for this hour and talk to you. Isn't that amazing? Because he said that through these little infirmities of life, the power of the Messiah will rest upon us. Amen? We need to stop complaining. Happy Thanksgiving. Will you join me in prayer? Father, I want to thank you for this chapter, how it ends with the glory of God. And Lord, we acknowledge that we often are self-centered even when we talk about spiritual things. We've never been broken. Perhaps. We've never admitted our self-centeredness before you. We remember that Joshua told Achan, confess your sin And give glory to the God of Israel. You are glorified when we acknowledge that we've been going in the opposite direction. And I pray, Lord, that our few messages here on your plan for Israel may help us to understand how you're going to get glory through what you have planned. It is your purpose to be glorified in everything. It is our main objective in life. It's the priority of all priorities that we believers want God to be glorified. I pray, Lord, that those in our midst who are not sure of their own relationship with your Son, our Savior. I pray right now in the quietness of their own heart they may turn to you and say, God, I... I need to get straightened out. Please help me. I know you hear our cries, and I thank you for it. With your head bowed and eyes closed, don't look around. I'm not going to embarrass you or call on your name. But what, right where you're sitting, if you know that God has spoken to your heart about something, and you know you need to give Him glory, Just right now, raise your hand. Yes, God bless you, so many of you. Yes, 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 yes. We have a wonderful God, don't we? And it's easy to block the flow of glorifying God by our own stubbornness and selfishness. God, please help us, Lord. I pray that we may leave today with a new joy in our hearts. Remembering that all things come from you are being worked through you and shall be unto you and that all the glory belongs to you. In the blessed name of our Lord Yeshua we pray. Amen.